Your finances will leave a long-lasting impact on your family. After all, you only retire once. If you're looking to discuss all things pertaining to your retirement, you've come to the right place. This is Retirement Matters with Michael Stewart. Hey, everybody. Welcome into another edition of the podcast. This is Retirement Matters with Michael Stewart. Hello, my friend. How are you? I'm doing well, Mark. How are you doing today? Doing pretty good. Cruising along nicely. Uh, The month is, boy, it's gone. (laughs) (laughs) Almost Super Bowl, right? I know. It's like, man, what in the hay? It just was was the first of the year in 2020 and a new decade and all that stuff. And yeah, now the Super Bowl is upon us. But I, I do got to say, and I hope not to offend anybody, but I'm so glad I don't have to see the Patriots in yet another Super Bowl. I was so this happy. Is true. I was this so is happy. true. At least not until next year, right? Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. He may or may not be back, so who knows? Uh, but uh, speaking of news, I've got some news for you. I mentioned on our prior podcast we were going to get to this, so let's talk about the SECURE Act. Uh, the fact that in December uh, of eight, 19, boy, I'm getting all confused. December of 19, they kind of slipped this in. We talked about it multiple times, actually, uh, in the podcast over the last, I don't know, four or five months. We've, we've kind of touched on it here and there. But at the end of the year, they kind of snuck it in really fast and and passed it on through and put it through with some budgetary things and uh, put the SECURE Act in. And there's a couple of pieces that are really going to affect retirees or a lot of our listening audience anyway. So let's talk about a couple of those. Yeah, so the SECURE Act recently passed, and uh, in typical government fashion, they give it and they take it away. Yep. You know, So there were about five main areas. There's probably 20 different things that were covered in there, but I'm, I'm going to talk about kind of the five that are most impactful for those in retirement or nearing retirement. Right. So the, the first thing is that they eliminated the age limit for making traditional IRA contributions. So before is even if you were working after age 70, you weren't allowed to actually make IRA contributions, even though you had earned income. So they got rid of that age requirement. So as long as you're still working, be it part-time, full-time, something like that after 70, then you still have the ability to make IRA contributions. So it doesn't apply to many, but okay, we'll take it. Second thing was that they increased the required minimum distribution age to 72. A required minimum distribution, for those that don't know, is it used to be once you hit 70 and a half, then the government forced you to begin to take, it was almost 4% of the value of the account, uh, depending on your age. Uh, you know, there's a whole schedule attached to it. The government would wind up making you, forcing you to take money out of your pre-tax retirement accounts mainly because before you passed on and left that to younger beneficiaries, which we'll cover a little bit later, is that they wanted to make sure they started getting some tax money from you on that one. That's the real reason for the required minimum distribution. So instead of 70 and a half, for anybody, and this only applies, unfortunately, they didn't grandfather clause it in, instead of 70 and a half, meaning when you have to take it out, it's now the year that you turn 72 that you have to take it out. So they kind of give you about a you know one, one and a half year reprieve on having to take those payments out. It's not really that big of a deal, although the, you know, the press made it out to be a big deal. It's not really that big a deal because really the difference between 70 and a half and 72 is one, maybe in few instances, two withdrawals over a period of retirement where you're gonna take 20 plus withdrawals. So it's really not that dramatic, uh, you know, but for those that don't want to take it out, that's, that's one thing. The third thing is they're now allowing penalty-free withdrawals for birth or adoption. So this won't apply to a lot of our clients. Most of our clients retired, the kids are out of the house, but it might apply to their kids. The thing is, it's not completely altruistic. Why? Because sure, they'll let you take out to $5,000 for birth or adoption out of your retirement accounts so they can tax you on the $5,000. <laughs> right. 
Another thing is provide employer liability protection for annuities and plans. So anytime you hear the word annuity, it just means there's an insurance company involved. So there's some kind of guaranteed product that they'll put in 401ks now. Uh, we'll see how that turns out. There's pros and cons. Now, the fifth thing, and honestly, this is the worst part of that entire SECURE Act. So I'm going to spend a little more time on that. It eliminated what they called the stretch IRA. In my office, I show clients how it creates multi-generational wealth. And that's why the government got rid of it. This is the most egregious of all the aspects of this SECURE Act. And it has a huge impact on basically the government's ability to invade your IRA and take away what was family wealth transfer strategies. So the stretch IRA is when a beneficiary inherits a retirement account, like an IRA or 401k. Before this law, they had three choices. They could take it all lump sum, pay all the taxes, usually a bad idea, or they could take it out over five years, kind of spread those taxes out over five years, or they could take required minimum distributions based on their age, not their parents' age, who they inherited it from, but their age. And usually that's like one or 2% that they'd have to take out allowing that other 98% of the account to continue to grow tax-deferred indefinitely. So let me give you a real-world example on that. Let's say a 40-year-old inherited a $500,000 IRA, and the government said, hey, you got to take 2% of that out a year as an RMD. Okay, so then they've got to take out about $10,000 a year, but that other $490,000 stays invested tax-deferred as if it's their own, and they can invest it any way that they want. So let's assume just a low 7% rate of return over every 10 years. That account would double every 10 years. So hypothetically, that 500,000 for the 40-year-old, even after their distributions might be about a million. When they're 50, it might be 2 million by the time that they're 60. That's multi-generational wealth. And under the SECURE Act, they eliminated the ability to stretch that out over the lifetime of the beneficiary. So the beneficiary now can either only take it lump sum and pay all those taxes today, which the government would love, or they're forced to drain that entire IRA and pay all the taxes within 10 years. It is a huge tax cash grab for the government. It makes no sense other than pure greed as every day we're inundated with stories about how the boomerang generation, those in their 30s and 40s, that the kids are coming back home because they got all this college debt and the parents are moving in with them because they got to take care of them so they can't save enough for retirement. And here they take away the one provision, the stretch IRA, that could actually help get them back on track over time when they start inheriting you know, parents' retirement accounts and these things. So unfortunately, SECURE Act, there's a lot of very nice, positive, small things in there. But the elimination of the stretch IRA was just nothing more than a tax grab by the government. Yeah, and I think there's going to be a lot more conversation around that, and it's certainly something that you're going to need to uh, ask your advisor, be working with your advisor on for definitely the RMD piece, uh, and for a lot of folks, the, the stretch as well. Um, you may or may not have one, but you may have been planning on leaving one, may have been part of the plan. So certainly follow up with your advisor. If you do not have an advisor you're working with, follow up with Michael and have a conversation around it and how it may affect you at 815 92. That's 815-526-3092. Or go to crystallaketax.com. That's crystallaketax.com. All right. Well, uh, let's turn to our main topic this week. And, and this is a kind of an interesting little uh, analogy. And uh, I'm not sure what they were initially thinking, but I, I can relate to it. We were going to call it Lessons from the Retirement Farm. And uh, I actually have been on a farm quite a, quite often in my life. How about you? Any ever, Any experience? 
So a little bit about my background and clients are shocked because I don't have like a drawl or, you know, or anything like that is uh, (laughs) that um, all my family is from Northern Alabama and I was actually born in Huntsville, Alabama, many moons ago, almost, almost 50 years ago. So the, uh, my family, my mom's side of the family lives in Huntsville. So my, and my uncle owned a print shop there uh, when I was a kid, Uh, he's long since passed. And my dad's side of the family uh, lived in Hatton, Alabama. Now, to find Hatton, it's so small, it's not even on a map. You got to start at Huntsville, then find Decatur, then find Muscle Shoals, then find Town Creek. And that just lets you know that you're close to Hatton on there. So we've got about 200 acres out in the country there. And I would spend my summers uh, from the time I was probably like six up until 16. I would spend a month of my summers from school, two weeks working at the print shop in Huntsville. Let me know I did not want to be a printer. You know, okay. that's when everything was manual and it was, <laughs> and a sweatshop, basically, you know, child labor laws, if they had them. That's right. And then, and then I would spend two weeks be like, Ooh, here's a respite of that. I get to go in the country. It's nice and laid back where we had the couple hundred acres. Now, granted, I didn't have to farm that couple hundred acres, but what I had to do was my aunt Wanda, who had the acreage right next to us, my dad's sister, she said, okay, well, you got to help me in the garden. Well, the garden was two, three acres that we would hand pick <laughs> right. and then can everything after the fact. So you know, at the time, I, I hated both, by the way. You know, just as a, sure, as a kid, as a kid not, yeah. not appreciative. But as I became adult in my 20s, especially my 30s, now that I have my own kids in their 20s and that, it gave me such a sense of work ethic and pride and understanding. You know, I didn't realize it at the time, but it's, it, it's honestly championed me and kind of, you know, given me the work ethic to be successful in life down the road. Well, very cool. I'm glad that we had this on our list of topics to talk about today. And yeah, I wouldn't have guessed. Now, I think we've let some of our listeners in before, but uh, through the power of the internet, we don't have to be together when we tape this podcast sometimes. And uh, I'm actually in North Carolina, and so uh, I can certainly relate. So do I have a draw? Do I have a, a little bit of an accent at all? No, no, you're city. You're good. Yeah, I'm city. I'm city folk. <laughs> well, and of course, I lived in Chicago for very, very a long, long time. Uh, so that probably has something to do with it as well. So let's have a little fun with this, Michael, and, and kind of pretend that, you know, building a retirement plan is a little bit like running a farm. And since you've got a little experience that, or at least a very large garden, uh, <laughs> then uh, we, you can, we can find some cool similarities between the two of these. So uh, let's talk about liquid versus non-liquid assets. Now, right off the bat, you might be like, well, do you have that on a farm? But but there's definitely, if you think about it, there's certainly ways you can go that route. Yeah, and, and really, you know, it's, and we'll talk about diversification in a little bit later category in that, but uh, liquid, non-liquid assets. So there, there's always a trade-off, and I'll, I'll give it on the investing side rather than the farm side, okay. is there's always a trade-off on, so I'll, I'll go on the whiteboard and I'll write, okay, so, you know, we want safe. We don't want any risk to our money. We want, you know, return. So we want it to grow to the sky. Right. And we want it liquid. So we can get it tomorrow if we wanted to, right? So it's safe, it's got crazy growth skills, and we can get it anytime we want. Well, unfortunately, that doesn't exist. You can have two of those three on any different type of investment, but no one investment has all three of those. So what you have to do is start making conscious choices between, okay, I understand the trade-offs between if I want liquidity as far as access to this, then I'm going to give up potential return. So it's safe and liquid, but I give up potential return. Or if I want significant return, then I give up some of the liquidity because I got to kind of tie it up a little bit longer. But at the same time, I also get a bigger growth component. You know, it can still be safe. So those are there's different ways to kind of go about it. And, you know, you can have things kind of in between. So when you take a look at it with your portfolio and even just your savings and everything in general, it could be laddering out CDs, you know, versus money markets or so. 
It's a matter of understanding how much do you need to keep short term. So typically that might be three to six months living expenses. And then how much do you need between maybe year two to five? That's a whole different bucket. And then the five plus year money. So what do we need to keep liquid available immediately for emergencies? What do we know we need over the next few years? And then what can we push out a little bit further that's truly going to be our growth component? Yeah. And if you're thinking about it from that farm analogy, a lot of times, you know, the, the land that your aunt or that you guys had 200 acres, you couldn't just sell that, you know, ran, you know, quickly and get, you know, cash out of that. So, uh, you know, cash flow versus maybe the, the value of the land type of thing. So same deal, right? You want to make sure that you're having the proper amount of uh, liquid versus non-liquid assets in your portfolio. Uh, all right. So chickens and eggs. Now we're going to, this will be pretty interesting. Uh, if you got a house full of chickens, now my buddy, um, friend of mine, he's a retired army vet. He he loves his chicken coop. He goes out there every day and messes with them. And, uh, you know, he, he gets a fair amount of going on there. And you can turn it into a fairly profitable business if you want to, as long as you keep those chickens happy, happy and healthy anyway. But uh, what are we talking about when we're talking chickens and eggs uh, when we're talking here about financial side? Yeah, so with, with chicken and eggs, and, and I, I like this because you know, in my book, I, I talk about eat the eggs, not the chickens. Okay. You know, and, and it's right up here, is really talking about uh, you think about chickens, chickens are your principal from an investment standpoint. The right. eggs are the interest, the dividends, the gains that you have that you can take, have permission to spend or eat in this case or sell in your, in, in your friend's case. Um, so if what you do is you take the eggs, you can use them, you can reinvest them, you can spend them, it gives you permission to do that. Because what we know about the chickens and the eggs is, and this is your friend going to the coop every day, right? Every day he goes, you know, reaches there, gets a couple more eggs, can come back. And as long as that chicken's there, you know it's going to continue Got to keep the chickens happy. That's right. And, yep, and then that's how we treat a retirement income portfolio. You know, let's say some of the clients got, you know, a million dollars and they walk in. We say, okay, well, what's the goal here? Let's solve for the income first. What do we need? And they say, well, you know what? In addition to my Social Security and other sources, we need an extra $25,000 a year of income. Say, great, okay. Well, here, in our income strategy, net of any expenses, on average, we can get you about, say, you know, 4 or 5%. So, okay, so 4 or 5%, and that's the eggs, remember. So, that's just interest and dividends. That's not hoping the market goes up or anything else. So, if we take $500,000 over here, average 4 to 5% net of any expenses, so that's after expenses, that's going to generate twenty to twenty-five thousand dollars a year of income, or eggs in this case, without ever touching the chickens, which is the half million dollars. So we've got our income solved for the next few years. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to worry about the markets, Trump's tweets, any of those kind of things. <laughs> so now we say, okay, now we still have another half million dollars. What's the purpose of this other half a million now that we've solved the retirement income? So for some, that might be more income. So we just add more to the, you know, buy more chickens, essentially. For on the other side, some may say, well, if I got my income solved, I want a rising income. So what we'll do is we'll put that more towards the growth, the market side of the business, because even if the market stumbles a little bit, you know, so our chickens get a little skinnier, that's okay, because we're not using the income off of that specific set of money, because we know down the road, it'll be worth more. 
We just don't need it to pay today's bills. You know, so that's I'm a huge believer in, you know, leave the chickens alone, let them do and just eat the eggs. There you go. Well, and, and you want to make sure, I think, that overall that you've got a retirement plan that's constructed in such a way that you're not completely reliant either or not too reliant mm-hmm. on chickens and not too reliant on eggs. Same thing with the uh, with the farmer. You know, if he starts taking care of chickens out, then he's got less eggs. So vice versa, to your point. So very good. And speaking of chickens and eggs, uh, you also have to be protective of if you've got a farm, uh, we uh, foxes and weasels. And there are definitely certainly no shortage of foxes and weasels in the financial world. I mean, inflation is the first thing that pops into mind that wants to steal away stuff. No, absolutely. When we, just like we were just talking about chicken and eggs, you know, inflation is the reason that we need a rising income over time. Just every few years, everything gets a little bit more expensive. So we've got to have some kind of component that if inflation's stealing two, three percent, you know, if we're talking healthcare, it might be six percent. If uh, inflation is stealing our buying power over time, then we need to have some assets that are going to keep up with that. And, you know, and just ultra conservative may not do that in this interest rate environment. Some other things that come into play, you know, long-term care. We talked about in the last episode about when we're putting a plan together in the five main areas that you got to cover health care and long-term care are one of those. Long-term care expenses can steal away not only the legacy you want to leave to your kids and your grandkids, but what about the surviving spouse or the spouse that is healthy right now? You know, and if the portfolio is getting devastated because of long-term care expenses, if we haven't planned accordingly for how we would pay for those, then, you know, that might leave our spouse in bad shape. And, you know, another thing, and it's not talked about as often as it should be, would be hidden fees. You know, hidden fees basically are the silent thief on an annual basis that, you know, that kind of eat away at your ability to actually just make more money in your portfolio. I know when we have prospective clients come in, they'll be like, oh, I've got an advisor. I don't pay them anything. And then I'll pull up the prospectuses on the funds. I'm like, you know, you don't think you did, but you paid a 5% commission going in. And then you have a one and a half percent every year as an internal fee. You don't see it as a line item, but it's there. Or we'll have somebody from some of the major brokerage firms come in and say, I just pay my guy one and a quarter percent and that's it. And say, okay, but you're paying him one and a quarter percent as an asset under management advisory fee, but he's putting you in all these other funds, and those funds have additional fees of 0.75 to one and a half percent. So once again, you don't see him unless you read the prospectus, which nobody does, by the way. So when we put all those fees together between the 1.25 percent to the advisor, and then you know, an average another one percent, all these different mutual funds are in. I said, do you realize you're actually paying almost twice as much as you thought you were? So if you know, if you had a million dollars, you thought you were paying twelve thousand five hundred dollars, but you're really paying closer to twenty. Wow. And so, you know, that's another kind of little, you know, that's the foxes and the weasels. That's the little things that kind of sneak in the night that if you don't pay attention to can devastate you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hopefully you're enjoying the lessons from the financial farm. We're kind of taking these analogies here from growing up or uh, maybe spending some time on a farm uh, to how retirement planning process. And I've got six acres myself and the guy down the road from me, he's got quite a bit. He's always down there farming. And my daughter used to ask me growing up because she he uh, planted sunflowers and he had these giant this giant field of sunflowers and they're very pretty to look at. And I guess it was like the next year or whatever, and we were coming by and it wasn't sunflowers. And she was like, "Hey, why? Where's the sunflowers?" And I said, "Well, he's switching it out to grow something different." So I explained to her about the soil and it helps to grow different things. Uh, so same kind of thing. You want a diversity not only for the uh, of crops, not only for the soil, but also you know you don't want to just have like all sunflowers. 
Yeah, no, you're right. And then, you know, that's, and that's where earlier when we talked about, we had talked about diversification as we went on. That's really what we're talking about. So how farmers diversify their crops, not only for their own income, but even just for the, to maintain the quality of the soil and the nutrients and things. You also look at it as, you know, when, when I go on the whiteboard with clients and say, hey, you know, we've got three different buckets of money. Here's the whole universe of options that we have. So we've got our risk bucket and, you know, that's going to be our stocks, our index funds, our mutual funds, those kind of things. We've got our income bucket. Our income bucket are things that primarily are bonds, bond-like instruments, things that pretty much pay interest and dividends. So we don't care if the market's going up or down. We just want these individuals that we hold to be able to continue to pay us the three, four, five, six, seven percent in interest and dividends that we're earning. And then we got this third bucket and we call it the insured bucket. So that might have government bonds like treasuries. It might have CDs from banks since they're, since they're FDIC insured, or it might have insurance products like, you know, fixed annuities, things that don't have risk attached to them, where we're either getting a set rate of return or a percentage of the upside of the market. What those three things have in common is as long as you hold them to maturity, all three of those things are going to give you back not only your original principal, but you're never going to get a statement saying that they're worth less than they are. So you'll get, you know, a little bit less growth potential but you'll have the ability to sleep at night knowing that your principal's safe. Now, the reality is, you know, whether it's insured, whether it's income, whether it's risk, you know, the whole diversification on that isn't that we just go and put all our money in one of those three buckets. The reality is, for most, we need a little bit in each bucket. So we might need 40% in the growth and 50% in the income and 10% insured. For more conservative people, they might want 50% insured and 40 in the income and only 10% in the risk. So everybody's risk tolerance or risk capacity is going to be different. But the most important thing is that you're diversified across all three of those buckets, the insured, the income, and the risk, just to make sure in good markets and bad that you've got things that are performing well and pushing you closer to your goals. Well, there you go, folks. So make sure that you're being diversified. Make sure that you are looking out for those foxes and weasels and, of course, taking care of your chickens and eggs. And hopefully you enjoyed our podcast here where we were talking about the analogy of, you know, the financial farm. Uh, As always, make sure that you're talking with a qualified professional like Michael Stewart. He is a one-stop shop, him and the team at Crystal Lake there. They've got a CPA, enrolled agent, paralegal on staff. Michael's been doing this for about two decades or so uh, as a financial planner. Great experience. He is the founder at Crystal Lake Tax and Financial. So find him online at crystallaketax.com. That is crystallaketax.com. And you can submit email questions to the podcast if you'd like. And that's what we got right now. Before we go, we've got a quick question here from Cliff in uh, Skokie. And Cliff says, uh, Michael, I told myself that once I hit a million dollars in my portfolio, I'd move a lot of that money to cash. But now I'm looking at it. And I'm thinking, man, I think I can get to 1.2 before I make that move. What do you think? I think I hear this every day is what I think. Uh, <laughs> people have forgotten markets go both directions. Uh, so, you know, Gordon Gecko from the movie Wall Street back in the 80s to date myself, you know, was greed is good. Greed is good. Yeah. But for mom and pop investors, it's the death knell of your retirement savings. So the same things and processes that you made successful getting Cliff to that million dollars, take risk, be aggressive, more, more, more. There's always more around the corner is the same mindset that's going to cause you financial harm once you have, quote, enough. By enough, what I mean is between your social security, your pensions, your investments, can you generate enough income that you can't outlive it and take limited risk to earn reasonable rates of return over time? If you can, then yeah, you've got enough. You've won the game. And daily, I tell people, and I love, and I tell them this, I say, I love telling people this. 
Uh, and it really shows the value that we can add to kind of the money management and the tax management for you is I tell people, I said, if you've won the game, why are you still playing the game? That doesn't mean you don't have money in the market. It doesn't mean you don't have assets that have risk. It, what it means is if we only risk the money that our income isn't dependent on. So we risk future assets that we need. We don't risk something that we need income off of now or that we can't afford to lose. So if markets go up or down, it won't impact your income. So Cliff, it's not, I'm at a million dollars. I'm thinking I can get to 1.2 million. It's why. Yeah. And how much risk are you taking to do so? So if you need to go from, and, and I want everybody, I want, everybody should jot this down. So if you need to go, Cliff, from 1 to 1.2, that's a 20% gain right? That just happened this year alone in 2019. If you're risking a 50% loss to potentially try and get a 20% gain, is that actually worth the risk? So if you've won the game, right? You don't need additional money. You're going to be fine. Put another way, assuming that million dollars is truly enough for you, Cliff, what would impact the quality of your retirement more? Getting that 20% and now you've got the million too. Hey, congratulations to you. Or you wake up three months from now, it was a slow bleed in the markets or so, you know, it takes the stairs up and the elevator down. So you wake up three months from now and all of a sudden you look at your statement and you lost almost half your money. Now your million's worth half a million. It's happened twice in the last 20 years. So what's more impactful, squeezing every little bit, trying to get that next 20% or making sure you avoid minus 20, minus 30, minus 50 if you've already won the game? So I think you know the answer. Once you won the game, stop playing the game. All right, Cliff. Well, great question. Reach out to Michael. Have a conversation. Talk about it some more. Share some more details with him. 815-526-3092. That's 815-526-3092. Yeah, and you could always ask yourself, too, where does it stop? If you hit the 1.2, do you go for 1.3 and so on and so forth? So have that conversation. Make sure that you are making the right decisions for yourself uh, and definitely have a chat with a uh, qualified professional like Michael Stewart of Crystal Lake Tax and Financial. And with that, we're going to say goodbye this week from Retirement Matters. We will talk to you next time here on the podcast. Michael, my friend, have yourself a great couple of weeks. I'll see you soon. Take care, Mark. We'll see you next time, folks. Take care, and don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple, Google, or Spotify. Investment advisory services offered through Sound Income Strategies, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. The information provided herein is for training or educational purposes only and does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any securities, investments, investment strategies, or investment advice relating to securities, nor is the information or representation that any security is a suitable or appropriate investment for any person. Before acting on any advice, you should consider the appropriateness of the advice having regard to your own objectives, financial situation and needs. Please contact us to obtain our disclosure brochure relating to the services offered by Sound Income Strategies, LLC, and consider its contents before making any decisions. Where quoted, past performance is not indicative of future performance. Sound Income Strategies, LLC does not represent or warrant that the contents of this program are suitable for you from a compliance, regulatory, legal, or any other perspective. We shall have no responsibility for your use or non-use of the program or any portion thereof. Crystal Lake Tax and Financial and Sound Income Strategies, LLC are not associated entities.